0: This paid podcast was produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Spotify Studios. Today's episode of Showstopper is presented by Ball in the Family, an all new show only on Facebook Watch. Head to Facebook.com slash Ball in the Family to catch up and watch new episodes every Sunday.
1: Obviously, TV is really changing. And from the first season that we did, it was sort of the beginning of this big change in television where there's just a lot of risk-taking.
0: From Spotify Studios, this is Showstopper, the podcast that takes you inside the playlist of your favorite TV shows and films. I'm your host, Xavier Jernigan, head of shows and editorial for North America at Spotify. Today, we're talking about Transparent, the Amazon original series with two of the people who created sound, the music supervisor, Bruce Gilbert, and the show's composer, Dustin O'Halloran. Transparent follows the Pfeffermans, a family in upheaval after their father comes out as trans. But the transformations don't end there. This sets off a chain reaction of metamorphosis through the entire family. The story is personal for creator Jill Soloway, who is gender nonconforming and uses the pronoun they. The series draws much from their own family history and Jewish identity, starting with the central storyline. Jill's own father came out as transgender in 2011. The musical identity of the show started with Dustin O'Halloran. Jill was listening to his album of piano solos when writing the pilot. She
2: was really familiar with Dustin's work already, and she had written stuff in the past with that as her writing soundtrack. My name is Bruce Gilbert, and I'm the music supervisor for Transparent.
0: Bruce and Jill have been longtime collaborators and partners. When it went to series,
2: Jill sort of like, in in the whole story of wish fulfillment and having all of her dreams
1: slowly come true, she was like, what if Dustin worked on the series? My name is Dustin O'Halloran, and I am the composer for Transparent. She was visiting Berlin, and we ended up having breakfast one morning, and she was telling me about it and had mentioned that there was a couple pieces and and sent me a link mm-hmm. after we had breakfast. And and it was amazing. I loved the pilot and just sort of wrote, wrote to her and said the pieces that she licensed, they just seemed to fit really well. Yeah, like you said, we licensed a couple
2: of pieces for the pilot, and that ended up informing the score in a big way. I don't know, it was a Piano Solos piece and maybe another yeah, one? Yeah, it was for, from my second Piano Solos record. There's something about Destin's work that's about that me- like memory and it's melancholy in a lot of ways you know and some part of that show especially you know in its early stages was there was a ton of melancholy and, and kind of excavating everybody's past and figuring out like what was going on it's
1: personal but it's also like epic especially in season one we talked a lot about music feeling like uh like that, there was the warmth around the family, and that it was all. No matter what was happening and the dynamics between the family, there was always
0: this this sort of feeling of love around them. Their dad, who they knew was more, is now Mora. They've nicknamed her Mappa, a portmanteau of mother and papa. Mappa's kids are grown and mostly out of the house when she comes out, but she still lives in the Pacific Palisades home they grew up in. And it's in this house that each character reflects on their time there, searching for answers. I've always
1: thought of my music was about memory. Hmm. And, and also how memories become kind of faded pictures in your mind. And, and that kind of memory where as the details fade, you start to just pick out the certain emotions. And that was before I worked on Transparent. So that was something that I was already aware of. Obviously the main title is just the imagery is very nostalgic.
0: The creators want the audience to participate in this interplay of memory and identity. The theme song in season one is played against old home movies from a bunch of different families. A montage of beach vacations, holiday parties, and mom and dad dancing. There's something relatable about these moments, even if they're pulled from the lives of strangers. It's a blurry memory of, of
2: the past. And the future, you know, there's snapshots of a kid's bar mitzvah. And there was like um, Jewish iconography because of the Israel stuff. And then the one before that, there was a lot of like, I think it featured women women and women together. And like a, a marriage and kissing and dancing. Yeah, and it looked like
1: it's from the 40s. Like, yeah. Yeah,
0: like really like even older. Yeah, it's almost like images that predate the content. Dustin saw an early cut of these home videos and had to write a theme song to go with it.
1: I, I guess when I first thought of an opening, I, you always think something that has to be sort of big or make a statement. And, and when she showed me the, the reel that, w- that would play in the opening, it was so um, understated in this really beautiful way. And it, and, it, and it was so real and nothing was, you know, wasn't, I don't know, it just set the tone of, of, of what was coming. And, and it was a, one of those moments where i was recording really late in my studio and doing a take and you just sometimes you just get a take and you you hope you don't have to re-record it because sometimes there's just something special in it and you can try to go back and do it but it just doesn't have the same feeling and i think it was you know it was probably 2 a.m in my studio in berlin and i just felt really relaxed and i wasn't worrying about this piece working or not and 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 that's why I think it works.
2: There really wasn't much back and forth. I remember it well because even before like your magic take, there was. We had a couple conversations about it. I think maybe a, a few of the things you had sketched out were maybe just like a little straightforward, and then and then I think we had one conversation where we were like, "What about like a waltz or something that was like a little more waltz-like?" And then he just like sent the thing and it was done without upending the whole
0: thing. She really tries to reinvent things every season. After season one, Jill asked Bruce and Dustin to evolve on the theme song. It's like
2: the first time she asked me if we should switch the theme up. I was like, well, it's a, he won an Emmy for it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then, of
1: course, she's like, but, you know, we want to reimagine this family and this journey. And Every season, the story becomes more layered and more complex. And every part that opens up is building upon what's been told before.
0: So by season four, the theme song was orchestral.
1: So, the last season is sort of the biggest, most arranged version of, of it where there's horns, there's strings. I think that the best parts of music to picture are when you're not trying because it just brings out things in the picture that you don't expect and it's and that's worked really well with the whole with all of the seasons because even the title piece the main titles. I didn't write for the main titles. I was just writing it for for another scene or not another scene, but just another idea that Jill and I had talked about and I was exploring and it just works. So, and, and I think that's, I don't know, for me, that's always the best. I think it's, it's trying to force music onto a scene sometimes just feels forced and I like it when it just happens naturally.
0: The Pfeffermans are a musical bunch. For the kids, cultural curiosity started with poking around their parents' vinyl collection. Bruce dug through his records to figure out which songs would resonate.
2: The very early impulse I had about the overall sound of the show was sort of toward that kind of golden California, 70s stuff. Like, I, you know, I put together a huge batch of ideas early on before we had picture or anything, and... Some of those like earliest ideas made, made their way into the show. There's a Neil Young song, there's a Dylan
0: song. Now that the kids are grown, they swing by Mapa's house to pilfer her music collection. One song they rediscover from childhood is Operator by Jim Croce. But as they re-listen with adult ears, this song takes on a different hue. We
2: first hear that song with Josh and Allie at the time of their dad's house. And um, I think she pulls the record out and they're singing it together. And they're like, oh my God, this was that record. There's an immediate sort of attention to the details of the past, and as they're sort of revealed, you know, each of the characters is sort of excavating their own experience. First, the the more um, character, obviously, and then
1: the kids in return. I, I always think of music in colors, and mm-hmm. I always think of the music that you chose has browns and yellows, and it it feels like the landscape of California for whatever reason. And I think that. Los Angeles is part of the story.
2: It's just really comforting. And so I think for me, just like as a fan of music, that's the kind of music that, that plays to that part of my, you know, body and mind. And so it just seemed like a, an obvious fit to me.
0: Their son Josh is a record exec. When we first meet him, he's developing an all-girl band called Glitterish. They perform at house parties around LA and have an indie east Side kind of vibe. So Bruce looked for songs from contemporary artists for Glitterish to cover.
2: You know, one of the glitter songs is a Sia song. So she allowed us to use one of her songs that wasn't out anywhere yet, This song Hologram.
0: Sia wrote this song, but never performed it herself.
2: And that's the song that the girls perform um, at that little pool party. She came and sat with us and played us a bunch of music. She was a fan of the show and just like offered up some stuff for us to consider. And yeah, they were like all jams. They were like every song and there was amazing. She's like, oh yeah, check out, the, there's like 20 songs here and they were all sounded like hits and they were just like stuff that she had written for somebody or for herself and and she wasn't sure if any of it was going to go on to live on a record or anything but at the time there were they were unknown songs so we were sort of free to play with them and so yeah, we just picked that one and then um, there were a couple others in contention that we were maybe going to do like super slick recording and the idea at the time was that they were going to have their sort of like indie server like sound but josh was like intent on them being like a pop super group of not super group but like he wanted to create a pop hit as like a you know record exec dude who, who like you know was seeking this like smash hit but we didn't go
1: there with that that's a great song yeah i great. remember asking you about that i was like that yeah. song has just been stuck in my head <laughs> yeah she can do that
0: it's no accident josh works in the music business he expresses himself through song and has since he was a little kid. He and his sister, Allie, love to sing together. And in one scene, they revisit a power ballad they wrote as children. They called it, When the Battle Is Over. Josh and Allie are performing it at
2: the house. She's tinkering around on the piano, I think. And she's like, Josh, remember this? He comes and sits next to her. And then in that same moment, we see them performing it as kids. That's a Jill and Faith song,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. And they, that's a song that they actually like wrote when, when, they were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when they were young. She asked me to also embellish it and make it something of my own. So I took it and maybe made the adult version.
0: <laughs> Jill and their sister, Faith, who was a writer producer on the show, have been creative collaborators since they were kids.
2: And again, that was just like another like, little dream thing for Jill that just like, oh, here's two siblings. What, what's our little sibling thing? And I had them perform that song.
1: There's a lot of music that's performed in this show. Music is such a big part of the the feeling of the show. And music is happening in every season live.
0: One of the greatest performances on Transparent comes from Judith Light, who plays the mother, Shelley. Up until this point, her kids write her off as neurotic as they tend to their own problems, which feel much more important. But Shelley has a few secrets herself, and finally, after keeping her mouth shut long enough, debuts her one-woman show, To Shell and Back. She kicks it off with a rendition of Alanis Morissette's Hand in My Pocket.
2: We brought Judith into the studio to do a pre-record of that because they were going to do it, they recorded on a cruise ship. But in advance, we did a pre-record just to make sure that we had, you know, what we needed in case we couldn't or didn't want to record anything live on the day. and And she just, like, killed it. I mean, people in the room were like, uh, that was real. And Judith, like, just like, she doesn't mess around. She's just doing it. You know, like it was as if she'd been performing it her whole
0: life. <laughs> and you can see in the scene, it's nuts. It's so crazy. The kids in Morris sit stunned as Shelley brings the house down. From that moment on, their vision of their mom is completely transformed. We're going to take a quick break. calling all snack connoisseurs this sponsorship is for you if you're an artisanal meat and cheese lover look no further than hillshire snacking small plates take your favorite bites on the go prosciutto and cheddar cheese spiced salami and gouda cheese you get the picture hillshire snacking small plates a snack above find your perfect pairing at hillshiresnacking.com now back to the show The music on transparent bonds the family together and connects them with their ancestors. And as the series progresses, we get a peek into the family's history. This comes to a head when Mora and her daughters take a road trip to a feminist music festival. That episode is based on the Michigan Women's Festival. All of the attendees are
2: women, and if there's any men in any of the areas, whether they're like changing the toilets or, you know, providing some sort of like electrical help or whatever, they yell. They like chant man on the land um, so
0: all the women feel safe. And I think the Indigo Girls had played there numerous times. Bruce had to bring the festival to life with exactly the kind of artists who played the Michigan Women's Festival. So his first ask was the Indigo Girls.
2: I'm a huge fan of that band. Like I was super psyched to get on the phone and see if they would do it. And they were obviously amazing and really cool. And we didn't need to do a prerecord for that one because we were able to record some stuff live on the day, but we also actually were just able to use the original recording and sort of add crowd and cheer and applause and stuff. And then they performed off camera for everyone. Hammer and Nail we did. I think that was the one they performed. We weren't equipped for a real show, but when we were done rolling, they performed just like a huge party because there were a lot of extras there for the women's festival and crew and cast, all that got in front of the stage and listen to them, and it was like, it was super awesome.
0: Once they get to the campsite, Ali, Sarah, and Maura become separated. Ali wanders through the camp looking for them, but instead sees a flashback. Her grandfather, who identified as female, she called herself Gittle. Next to a roaring campfire at the festival, Ali sees flashes of Gittle's life in Berlin, standing up for gay rights and studying sexuality.
1: Berlin in that time was a really interesting city. I mean, it was, it was, really liberal in a lot of ways. And it was, there was so much going on. It was, there was, you know, you had the Bauhaus. It was, it was intellectual. that was, you know, sexually open.
0: Allie realizes they're fighting the same fight. And as the camera pans, we hear the song Waiting by Alice Bowman.
1: And then there's
2: a weird little moment. It's a special effect, I think, right? Where we notice it's Allie in one second, and then we see Gittel, who's like this family member from Germany who we're going to meet. Then...
0: She's overtaken with images of the Nazi raid at the Institute for Sexual Science. Gittel is dragged away. We revisit the song at the height of this
2: insanity where the Nazis are burning the, they, they invade the Institute and they burn the books. Um, and then that song begins to play again, a different version of that song. We brought Alice out and she was playing the piano in the scene. It's just like really like, I mean, it's just like a magic transparent moment. That's probably one of my favorite uses.
1: There's all this music that was captured on the set during the, during the performance. And then I actually came in and, and pieced some score into it and added more instrumentation. But it was a mix of things recorded in another studio, things that were recorded live on the set, and then things that i <laughs> added. And I think that's pretty rare. Probably never happened where you Piecing all of that together and making a score out of it and making it work.
0: In its most transcendental form, music is used to illustrate how characters commune with the divine. Allie is a seeker. She lives her life in dogged pursuit of the mystical feminine spirit. She studies queer theory and explores gender nonconformity, but she's still searching until a fateful visit at the dentist's office. I think it's
2: Pretty autobiographical for Jill because she spent some quality time in the dentist chair on um, on the gas, and um, was saying that like in this state she's like getting messages about her life and about the world, and almost the way people talk about ayahuasca or something like they're having real connection with the divine. Um, so in this case, the divine for Jill was going to be some sort of like. Uh, Goddess. At the time we listened to a bunch of music about this like goddess idea and
0: about this like a woman of color. It was really about this like sort of new reality. In a medically induced trip, Allie blasts off into another dimension to the sounds of Laura Mavula's incantation. Is there anybody out there? There's this
2: feeling of Allie being sort of like out in the psychic wilderness where this where there's something calling to her or she's searching for something. And that song has this sort of like soulful, sort of spiritual, like really curious element to it. I think that at the time is what spoke to me and what I thought might work in that case. That song plays, I think every time she's in the chair.
0: And it's in this swirl of lights and colors that the message she's looking for is received. She looks upon the almighty, the goddess, with her own eyes. She also hallucinates that she's a contestant on Wheel of Fortune with Caitlyn Jenner.
2: I mean, it was insane. It was completely insane. It was
0: basically she's just
2: having a trip in the dentist chair. And we did a little bit of like a intercutting montage thing with that song and the Wheel of Fortune stuff. We used the music from Wheel of Fortune. Jill creates an inclusive tone on set. Jill's obviously gone out of her way to accommodate absolutely everybody and anybody in front of and behind the camera. They do a thing called box where before they start every morning, People are encouraged and invited to just like stand up on a box and share any feelings or thoughts about any number of things. And, but that's sort of just an expression of what's already happening on set, which is people treat this community like, like it's very serious place where a lot of not so serious things can happen. And of course, like with the whole discussion around transgender um, identity and rights and everything, that became like a focus of Jill's to get as many people involved you know, in that community that, that she could gather and accommodate and include. There's like a weight to the show. It's just like it weighs on me. It's unconscious, you know, like we think and talk a lot about it. And then I go off and sleep on stuff and wake up with ideas and
1: they live in the show. It's pretty special in that way. That there's, I mean, there's so much in, instinct and that you have to just trust and, and, um, and just go for it it has to come f- straight from the instinct of your heart and that's that's when it works anytime when i'm making music if i overthink it i never hit it right and once i stop overthinking it and i just let go a little bit that's when it works yes. it has to be a bit raw and it has to feel real i can never get away with just beating autopilot or anything i have to you know i have to be really present every day i think i just got really really lucky Bruce and I have been friends for so long. Jill is a great writer, the show is great, and, and the amount of freedom that everyone's had to, to explore has been incredible. So I, I, you know, I think I just feel very fortunate.
2: And I love hearing Dustin's music whenever possible.
0: Check out the official Transparent playlist right here only on Spotify. Showstopper is produced by Spotify Studios in collaboration with Slate Studios with production by Fanny Co. Our producers are Fanny Cohen and Morgan Hecht. Special thanks to Natalie Tella, Leah Campbell, Sharon Wong, and Michelle Siegel. Our theme song is produced by my homie, Prince Maestro. From Spotify, I'm Xavier Jernigan. Keep listening. Today's episode of Showstopper is presented by the Army National Guard. Discover how you can make a difference in your community and country by visiting GoArmy.com slash And discover more episodes of Showstopper only on Spotify.